Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Rob Darnapal. I'm the pastor here at Northminster. It's good to see you all this morning. We are going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to deal again with Jesus' statement, you must love your enemies. So easy. It's, it, it'll be a piece of cake. We'll deal with it in a couple minutes, and we'll go on and be fine. We all do so well at it. It's, yeah, exactly. One of the reasons why we read Leviticus 19 earlier in the service was Jesus tells a parable in chapter 10 in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read that in just a moment. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Sir, you know, what must I do to be saved? And the two great commandments are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord your God comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God, hear, O Israel. And to love your neighbor as yourself comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Well, that's what Leviticus 19 that we just did, uh, the reading that we just did a few minutes ago is all about. So we're going to grapple with this question. The question is, how can we know so well that we're supposed to love our neighbors, but we simply don't do a very good job of it? Why do we struggle so much uh, with this issue of love? And so we want to kind of flush it out. What does it mean and what does it look like uh, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, and to love everyone for the sake of of the gospel of Jesus Christ? In Luke chapter 10, our New Testament reading is Luke 10, 25-37, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. It's page 729 in your pew Bibles. As we'll continue our study... You mean I have to love them too. The single greatest command is to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. When we look at the teachings of Jesus, we're going to come really quickly to realize that loving your neighbor, and the first fill in the blank if you're taking notes on the back of your outline is, 
is that loving your neighbor, Jesus defines as everyone. Jesus defines loving your neighbor as everyone. Now, for myself, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I, I wasn't a bad child. My mom's not here to dispute that. And, uh, but I, I was one of those, if you tell me why, it's a lot easier for me to do it. I may or may not even agree with you as to whether I like the reason, but at least I know why you want me to do something. And so I'd like us to start this morning with the question of why? Why should we love the Lord our God? And why should we love our neighbor as ourselves? I mean, what, what's behind it? What, what's the basics? And I think I'd come up with maybe a couple reasons. And the first would be this. We were actually made to love God. Why should we love the Lord our God? Because that's what we were made to do. And if you think about it, if it was what we were made to do, it's what we actually would enjoy the most. We're going to get the most pleasure out of doing the very thing that we were made to do. And if we were made to love God, then we're actually going to get the most pleasure out of loving God. I would also say, by the way, that we should love God because He's worthy. It's just the bottom line. I mean, by the way, even if God weren't even good, let, let's just, if, if He were just all-powerful, all-holy, and he, he made the world, and He said, love me, we would have to love Him. It's kind of the way, He's the Creator, we're the created, we do what He says. It just so happens, of course, that God is a loving, holy God. And then in 1 John, another reason why we should love God, John says we love because he first loved us. God has shown us what it looks like to love. All right, but, but that's all fine and dandy, but why do I have to love my neighbor? It's, I mean, do you know my neighbor? I mean, seriously. I mean, we're going like way overboard here. We're, to call, we're called to love our neighbors because guess what? They too are made in the image of God. They too were made by God. And because they're made by God, they're beings of value and importance. And God said, love them too. And don't call them that name. And don't think of them as that. And don't stereotype them by their sexual preferences or by their political affiliations or by their religious backgrounds. They're made by God in my image. And therefore, you are to love them. But there's also another reason I think that's very important, and that is we're called to love our neighbors because that is how we go about making the gospel known to them. Our task, our mission is to make God known. He has chosen us so that, 1 Peter 2.9 says, we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, and, and we do that by loving our neighbors. And now it opens up, hopefully, potentially, the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Luke chapter 6, where we left off a couple weeks ago, says this in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt, uh, your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now this scene's kind of simple. But if you really read it carefully, what we're going to find out, by the way, is that loving the way Jesus calls us to love is actually going to bring about suffering. He's saying, go to the extent that you're going to, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. 
That's the depth of love that I'm calling you to have. Now, the question, of course, is this. You know, why do we struggle with this so much? And I think one of the reasons why we struggle with this so much um, is because we struggle with understanding what love actually is and what it actually looks like. Uh, and I think that there are a number of situations where we're called to actually do a loving act and we never thought that that's what it looked like. I don't think we thought, oh, that, oh, I never thought that that's what love looked like. So, but before we look at that, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul defines love. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen, verses 4 through 8. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let me give you what I think are three keys about the nature of understanding love that we're going to then build on to say, here's how I think love is applied in certain situations. The first is that love is unconditional. We're called to love not so that something may happen for us. Not so that I get something. I love my wife so that she will be nice to me. No, I love my wife. All right? Unconditional love. And that, of course, is the love that God gave to us. I think the key feature of love in this passage, however, is that love is not self seeking. <clears throat> Excuse me. Love is not, the key definition of love is love is not self seeking. Right in the middle of that passage, it is, it is not self seeking. Now, the positive way of saying the same thing is that love seeks the interests of others. Love seeks the, so you can say it in the negative, it's not self-seeking, or in the positive, love seeks the interests interest of others. And because love is not self-seeking, it therefore is not boastful. Because love is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. Because love is not self-seeking, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, and it doesn't delight. You see, the, the nature of love, the key element in this chapter is, love is not self-seeking, or it seeks the interests of others first. Now, going back to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a parable, or, or we find a story where a man comes to Jesus and says, hey, oh, hey, Jesus, you know, what are the two great commandments? And Jesus says, okay, here they are. And the guy says, well, that, that's great. Um, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But, but who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? Jesus replies by saying, well, look, here's what's going on there, sir. I, I know what you're trying to do. What you're trying to do is you're trying to define who I'm supposed to love and who I'm not supposed to love. By asking the question, who is my neighbor, I'm going to draw a circle around me, and I want to know who's inside the circle. The circle is my neighbor. Outside the circle are non-neighbors. Those I'm not required... You see, the man was trying to delineate... Who I'm supposed to love and who I'm not supposed to love. Who's in and who's out. Who's them and who's us. Jesus, of course, replies with this, with a, with, by telling a parable about a good Samaritan. There's a man uh, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17 and a half mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's straight downhill, about 4,000 feet in elevation change from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's the middle of the wilderness. Uh, as you, once you leave Jerusalem and you go over the Mount of Olives, you're entering the desert, essentially, on your way down to the, the Dead Sea Valley. It's desert. All right? 
Uh, it's easy on those roads for bandits to hide out. And if there's a man walking by himself, he's going to get robbed. So this man gets robbed. He's beaten and bloodied and left half dead. And a, a priest walks by and passes by on the other side. Uh, a Levite walks by. Now, if you're not aware, Levites are the priestly tribe in Israel. All priests are Levites. Not all Levites are priests. But if you're a Levite, you remember the priestly family. They're both very religious people. He walks by also. Then a Samaritan. Well, if you're not aware of Samaritans, Samaritans are the people who live north of Jerusalem. There's Galilee way in the way north. There's Samaria in the center. And there's Judea in the, in the south. Samaria in the middle. The Jews looked at the Samaritans and said, we don't like you people. You're half Jewish and that makes you not Jewish at all. Samaritans had intermarried the Jewish population with the Babylonian population centuries before. And the Samaritans and the Jews became rival groups. And the Jews do not like Samaritans. In fact, they despise Samaritans. So a Samaritan, the people you hate, Jesus tells the lawyer. He walks by and he sees the man and he cares for him. He bandages his wounds. He puts oil on his wounds, which was, by the way, a medicine in the ancient world. He puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn in, Jer in, um, in Jericho. Pays the innkeeper and says, here's two days' wages. If I come back and I owe you more, I'll pay you then. And Jesus asked the lawyer the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You see, when you ask Jesus a question, by the way, you have to get ready for this. He's not going to answer your question. Because the question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question, if you think about it. Uh, this guy, this guy, and this... He doesn't do that. He says, you're asking the wrong question. I'm not going to answer your question because it's the wrong one. The question is not, who is your neighbor? The question is, to whom are you a neighbor? And the question, to whom are you a neighbor, is therefore everyone. Because which of these three acted like a neighbor? The priest and the Levite walked by, very likely, a Jewish man. The Samaritan, who would not have defined a Jewish person as a neighbor, is the one who acted like the neighbor. So for Jesus, our neighbor is everyone. The question then is, to whom am I a neighbor? Now, we talk about this, and, and again, you know, whenever anybody asks you a Bible trivia question, there's always three answers. There's God, Jesus, and love. One of those three is going to be correct probably 90% of the time. All right, so if you don't know, if you're new to church, just say God. And if anyone says that's wrong, you're like, they're not going to say God's a bad answer. Right? So, God, Jesus, or love, you're going to be in good stead if you say one of those three. All right. But when push comes to shove, the reality is we struggle with loving our spouses, our kids. Not my kids, but you're, I, I get it. <laughs> our spouses, our kids, we struggle loving those in, our, you know, in that circle of neighbor that we want to define. We actually struggle loving there let alone struggling to love the people who actually are our neighbors, the people outside that circle and outside that circle and outside that circle and outside that circle. 
Why is it? And I think one of the reasons why is because we fail to recognize what love actually looks like. So I'm going to give some examples of what I think love looks like. And I may step on your toes. That's okay. It, it might hurt. But sometimes I need, think we need to have our toes stepped on because I think the reason why we struggle applying the principle of loving is because we don't realize, oh, that's what it looks like. So the first one or two examples will be very much directed at myself, just so that we know I'm stepping on my own toes first. Love means the care that someone else was blessed to get the last cookie. Now, I don't have a problem with this, because I said this last night for those at the Grove, I said, because what I do is I make you think that's the last cookie, but it's not actually. Because I've hidden a stash in the freezer somewhere, and I'm good. I can let you have the last cookie, because I know if I really wanted one, I still have another one. But, so I waffle on this one. All right, number two, how about, love means to rejoice when others rejoice. But I don't think this applies to sports. <laughs> because, you see, if you want to root for the Yankees, go ahead. But I'm not going to rejoice if your team wins. So this does not apply to sports. Otherwise, love rejoices when others rejoice. Number three, love means to, accept, to not accept the popular consensus that stereotypes the whole, but to learn people's stories for themselves. To not accept the popular consensus that stereotypes the whole, but to learn people's story for themselves. I think one of the major reasons why we have trouble loving people sometimes is because we don't know them. We've come to conclude that all people of this race drive this way. All women are like this. All Republicans are like this. All, right? all Muslims are like this. And when you believe the stereotype, it's easy to get that stereotype reinforced because when something happens that reinforces it, like, there you go. When something happens that doesn't reinforce it, you ignore it. And the stereotype gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. I think we have trouble loving people because we don't know them. Next one, love respects others even when they don't agree with you. My personal opinion is you have all the right in the world to be wrong anytime you want. Okay, just kidding. Um, but even when they don't agree with you, not everything people say is wrong or bad, even if they're on the wrong side of the political divide. I've seen this so much recently on Facebook and social media and everything else, and that is, if you're a Democrat, everything the Republicans do is wrong. And if you're a Republican, everything the Democrats do is wrong. If you like Trump, he does no wrong. If you like Obama, he did no wrong. But if you like Trump, everything Obama did was bad. And if you like Obama, everything Trump does is bad. It's just unbelievable that we can't step back and go, you know what, objectively speaking, I voted for you, but that was stupid. <laughs> or I didn't vote for you, and I don't like your political views, but you know what, I appreciate what you just did there, because that was good. How do we not be able to do that? Now, if we go back, by the way, what are the two reasons we're to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves? And the question is, why? Why are we to love our neighbor? Because we are to maintain a witness to them. And you see, when we turn around and have this political uh, viewpoint, and we're all welcome to have whatever viewpoints we have, 
but that can never view the other side as actually ever doing anything good, folks, we're going to lose the opportunity to share the gospel with those people over there. Because sometimes the other side is actually right. And if we don't acknowledge that the other side is actually right, then the other side's not even going to respect us. And if they don't respect us, they're never going to listen. There's a statistic that just came out. It says 44% of Democrats and 45% of Republicans have a very, very unfavorable view of members of the other party. 45% essentially view the other party very unfavorably. What that means is, is that I don't like anything that they do. I don't agree with anything that they do. Now, that, by the way, is up from 20% in 1994. In 1994, 20% of Democrats and Republicans said they had a very unfavorable view of the other side. You see what's happening? We're becoming more and more and more polarized as a culture and as a society. And we, as Christians, have to stop and step back and go, you know what? Truth is my, uh, that, that, my litmus test is truth. I filter through the Jesus lens. And guess what? I don't like their political views, or, but they're right on this one. Or they're wrong on that one, even if I like their views. We have to be careful about this because we have to understand that we must respect others even when they don't agree with us. Next one is love weeps at injustice. Love weeps at injustice. Now, that seems pretty harmless. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that statement. Love weeps at injustice. We, we, would, we would all, no problem, right? I could, I could move on, right? But what happens when the injustice is against somebody that's not from my tribe? Not from my socioeconomic status, not from my race, not from my gender, not from my religious convictions, not from my political party. What happens when injustice happens to that person? You see, one of the most significant human rights crises we have in the world today is what's happening to Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar. They're being exterminated by the Buddhists in Burma. And I have a feeling that many of us didn't know that. And then if we're aware of it, we're still like, well, I feel bad for them. And then we move on. But if, we, if love weeps in injustice, it weeps for injustice regardless of who's suffering the injustice. You see, are we bothered by the fact that about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, Russia banned Jehovah's Witnesses from Russia? Well, that, well that, that's fine. We don't agree with Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't believe in their theology. We're... Folks, it's an injustice. Or do we only weep when it's Christians who are opposed or persecuted? And let me, let me say it this way. If we were to have sympathy and empathy and compassion and weeping at the suffering of the Rohingya Muslims, what might that do to my witness for the Muslim who lives down the street from me? Who might all of a sudden turn and go, wow, you're, 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 you're weeping because a, a Muslim suffering in Myanmar. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm weeping because it's unjust. Their villages are being burned. They're being slaughtered. They're being pillaged. They're being raped. They're being, all this abuse is happening to them. Of course I... You see, all of a sudden now, I may have broken down a barrier 
between a Muslim in Bakersfield and myself. And maybe perhaps open up the opportunity for evangelism. Remember, why are we to do these two commands? Because God made us to love him. And because God wants everyone to love him. And it's our task as Christians to help those who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Next one, love assumes the best in people. And I think this, by the way, is one of the reasons why we have some of the conflicts we have, especially with family members. All right? And that is, well, they didn't call me because, and we assume the worst. They didn't come to the party because, they didn't show up here because, and we just assume the worst. And, 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 and oftentimes we assume the worst because they have a track record, right? They did this one time, they did that another time, and so therefore when they did it this time, it must also be for that reason or for that reason. But what if we just gave them the benefit of the doubt? Maybe we're right. Maybe the worst is actually the reason. But what if we didn't assume it? What if we just assumed the best? I think, by the way, that would actually stop a lot of the conflicts we have. Because often what we do is we're like, well, they did this, and I'm sure the reason is this. And then we do something in retaliation, but think it's not retaliation. It's just giving them back what they deserve. But what if they didn't deserve it? Because they actually didn't do it for the reason we thought they did it. All of a sudden we begin to realize this Jesus guy is not very easy, is he? All right, I'm going to step on some toes here. Here we go. Ready? If I haven't already, um, I'm on a roll. I might as well keep going. Here we go. Love means to exercise and eat well. I don't think we would think of that, by the way. I don't think that we would think that love means that I need to eat well. Because see, with eating well and exercising, it's one of the, it, I'll do in my body what I want to do with my body. I'll eat what I, I mean, my eating affects no one. Until I get sick, and then my wife has to care for me. Now, mind you, by the way, you know, if my wife were to get sick, it would be a privilege to care for her. Right? I, I, I cared for my mom the last two years of her life, and it was a blessing to be able to give back to my mom what she had given to me for 40-something years. But what I'm saying is, is if I'm getting sick and I could have not gotten sick because I took care of myself. Uh, see, in either way, uh, an easier illustration would be saying, love doesn't get drunk. Right? I mean, you can drink if you, want to get, if you want to drink, but love doesn't get drunk because, you see, when I get drunk, I may harm somebody else. I, I grew up with an alcoholic father. Love does not get drunk. So all of a sudden we realize that, that there's a level where personal preferences goes too far and we become something where actually, because if love seeks the interests of others, then I'll do my best. And again, mind you, there's a gray area here, right? I'll do my best to take care of myself so that I'm not a burden as much as possible upon others. All right, next one. I'm not sure what slide I'm on. Am I on the wrong slide? All right, no, I'm not. All right. All right, next one. Love forgives. Love forgives. And this one's hard. Uh, I know a person right now that does not deserve to be forgiven. And I've been struggling with it for years. All right? And I mean, I, I struggle with this as a young man. I won't get into the details. You know, with my father. 
He did not deserve to be forgiven. But love forgives. Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer that forgive as God has forgiven you. For if you do not forgive others for their transgressions, then God will not forgive, not forgive you for your transgressions. Love forgives. And again, by the way, the idea of forgives and forgets, I'm not sure I buy that part. Because sometimes it's important to not forget. If somebody's abusive, you don't want to just forget. You can forgive. But see, to forget means you just walk blindly into abuse again. And that's not necessarily, that's not loving at all either. So sometimes we don't want to forget. We want to remember. And not put ourselves in those situations where we're subject to abuse. But love still finds a way to forgive. Next one, love recognizes that we are all sinners. And it's another one that's kind of easy. Yeah, that's easy. I get that one. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We all sin. Well, then the next one comes up and that says this. Love gives grace when others make mistakes. You see, I want you to forgive me and give me grace when I make a mistake. But then I don't give you grace when you make mistakes. Or vice versa. You see... I'm going to make a mistake. Sooner or later, it'll happen. I know I've been here for four years. It hasn't happened yet. But sooner or later, it will happen. All right. It's just inevitable. All right. The reality is, we all make mistakes. We're all sinners. And we want grace and forgiveness. So love gives grace when others make mistakes. How about this one? Love does not discriminate. Love does not discriminate. This is what the lawyer was doing in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The lawyer was like, who is my neighbor? I want to know who I have to love and who I don't have to love. Who I can discriminate against and who I can't discriminate against. Now, by the way, imagine if Jesus were to tell us the parable of the Good Samaritan today. A man was on the way from Bakersfield to Arvin and he fell upon some bandits and they robbed him and left him on the side of the road blooded and beaten, and a Presbyterian walked by, passed by on the other side. And then a Baptist walked by, hopefully we wouldn't expect them to stop, would we? Okay, just kidding. And passed by on the other side. But then, fill in the blank here, a Muslim saw the man, attended to his wounds, cared for him, and brought him to a doctor's office or a hotel. A, a man was on the way from Bakersfield to Arvin and he fell upon bandits and they, they beat him and left him stripped and naked and, and, and bloodied. And, and then a Presbyterian walked by on this other road. Uh, a Methodist walked by on this other road. But then a Democrat <laughs> or a Republican took care of him. man was on the way from Bakersfield to Arvin and he fell upon thieves and they beat him and left him naked and blooded and stripped and Presbyterian walked by. A Catholic walked by. But a homosexual came by. Cared for him. Bandaged his wounds. Put him in his car. Drove him to a doctor's office. See, if Jesus were to tell the story today, it would hurt us. Love does not discriminate. 
Now, before we finish up, let me give some thoughts on, 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 on love in the context of marriage, or, or in particular, parenting. Um, I, I grew up, my mom would, would, would sometimes raise her voice, not at me, my brothers, of course, most oftentimes, I was never a problem. Um, but she'd be raising her voice, you know, what? And then the phone would ring. You all know what's going to happen, right? Then the phone would ring, and she'd do what? Hello? I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. Yo, it's so good to hear your voice. Would you shut up and go to, your, go to your room right now? Anyway, that now nice. Yeah, let's go out for coffee. Yeah, go shut up and go to your room. Anyways, hello, right? When they answer the door, when your parents, right? They answer. It's not the same voice that she was just talking to her, my brothers and me with. Why is it that we struggle to treat our children the way we treat the stranger on the telephone? Or the one that we don't even know at all who knocks on our door. So let me give you three thoughts on parenting. Number one, they're kids. This should be pretty obvious, but they're kids. Go back to what we said earlier. We are all sinners. So we should therefore expect our kids to make mistakes. Oh, and guess what? They're eight. We really should expect them to make mistakes. Or they're 12, or they're 4, or they're 15. Now, by the way, when they're 15, they think they're 30, but that's still, they're 15. (laughs) They're still kids, and there are kids. I call this one the John Wooden philosophy, and that is that our goal is to find the good our children do and praise them for it. Uh, I've been coaching sports since 1990, about 28 years of coaching various levels of sports. And John Wooden, the famous basketball coach at UCLA in the 60s and 70s, coached them to numerous national championships, etc. And his philosophy was this. He said, I know every one of my players makes a mistake in practice or in a game. My job is to find the right thing they did and point it out. And that radically influenced me in coaching and in sports. And I've seen this in youth leagues and high school leagues and all around. I, I see kids, when they make a mistake and a coach will yell at them and badger them for making a mistake. And what happens is, is the kid is actually now afraid to try because they're, be, they're afraid they're going to fail and get yelled at. I swung at a bad pitch out of the strike zone. The coach yelled at me, so I just won't swing. And when I go back to the dugout, because I struck out, I'm not going to get yelled at for swinging at a bad pitch. The kid's afraid to try, because they're afraid they're going to fail and get yelled at. But when you praise the child because he did well, or she did well, they actually now are striving to succeed, because they know, hey, the coach really praised me when I did that last time. I'm going to do that again, because I like hearing the praise. And when our kids do right, we praise them. It motivates them to do right. Number three, only discipline out of love. Only discipline out of love. To discipline a person or a child is to act lovingly. Right? It, it, it is to love, to love the child. But sometimes, if a parent's not in the right frame of mind because of what the child might have done, right now might not be the best time to discipline the child. Get yourself in the right frame of mind, right frame of reference, to recognize this is your child that you love, who needs to learn better, but right now you're probably not able to do that. So wait a couple minutes, hours. 
and then approach the situation. Now, what about here at church? I've already stepped on everybody's toes, so let's just go a little bit further here. Are we loving one another in the context of the church? Well, I want to commend you first off, because for the last two or three years, we've been doing a blended style of music. Right? Some songs you like and some songs you like. And you're still here. That's loving. I've had a conversation with several of you who have come up and said, you know, I really don't like this music. And others will say, I really don't like this music. And it's, it's polarizing, right? I don't like the organ. I don't like the guitar. I don't like, right? All right. And so what's my response has been this. When a song is being played that you don't like, rejoice that someone else does. Worship in the frame of mind of, I don't like this song, I can't worship with it, but I know somebody else is, and therefore my love for them, because love's not self-seeking, it seeks the interest of others, my love for them says, I'm rejoicing that you are worshiping now. And maybe if you really don't like the song at all, or whatever it might be, just pray during that song the entire time, and give thanks for those who are receiving and able to worship because they enjoy the song. That's how love manifests itself. Some of you don't like the doxology. Some of you love the doxology. I think the doxology is cool. The doxology is praise God from whom all blessings flow. If you don't like the doxology, just stop for a second and say, great, I don't like this song. I hate, but, what? but rejoice that praise God for whom all blessings flow. Don't sing it. Say it to yourself. Sorry about that. That's my cell phone. Um, just pray it. and give the, I don't know if you realize, by the way, but we do the doxology as the offering is being brought forward. Praise God from whom all blessings... This isn't from my wallet or your wallet. It's from God's wallet from whom all blessings flow. Now, some of you love it, but what if we didn't do it one week? For whatever... It's okay. Because, see, some people don't like it, and I hear about it, by the way, and they don't want it. And some people love it, and they want it. That's fine. But recognize the fact that someone else is receiving worship or giving worship because we're doing this or because we're doing that. So all of a sudden, we get, see, this love thing, God, Jesus' love, is so basic and so simple, but not easy, is it? That's why Jesus, in the context of saying, love your enemy, says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to take your coat, let him have your shirt as well. Doing what Jesus says is not going to be easy. In fact, it's actually going to hurt. Let me give you very quickly here, and I know we're going to do communion here in just a moment. Let me give you three things to think about. Number one, pray for your neighbor, everyone, slash enemy. If you know somebody that you really, really struggle loving on them, pray for them. When you begin to pray for them, your, your next door neighbor who does this or this or this, or they have a mess in their front yard, da, 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 da. Right? pray for them. And when you pray that God will show himself to them, and all of a sudden you begin to realize that the way of answering the prayer is by you being kind to them, by, by, by you saying nice words to them, by you doing something for them, it begins to change your behavior towards that person. 
Pray for them. Secondly, get to know them. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know others. Some of the most ardent conflicts in the world today are happening in between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And, um, and it's been going on for a long time. What people don't realize, by the way, is that the Israelis and Palestinians live side by side for hundreds of years in peace. It's only been the last 75 years or so that the conflict, 70 years or so now, that the conflict between the two has actually gotten nasty. But they used to live in villages next door to each other. In fact, the Muslim Palestinians would celebrate Christmas with the Christian, Christian Palestinians, and, and, and they would celebrate the Jewish holidays. No problem at all. But now, if you're not aware of what's going on, they're building a wall 25 feet high dividing the Palestinians from the Israelis. And what's happening now is you're getting a generation of kids who are growing up on both sides of the wall who do not know anyone on the other side. And because they don't know anyone on the other side, they can believe the stereotypes and the lies about what the other people on the other side are like. And the animosity between the two groups is actually getting worse. So when, you don't know our, when we don't know our neighbors, it's easy to hate them. All right, last one. And that is, do a prayer walk through your community. Wherever it is that you have trouble loving your enemies, walk through that community and pray for them. The idea, and it doesn't have to be a prayer walk, by the way. You, you, you could do a prayer walk in your office. Through the, you know, next to the office of the person that you have the most trouble with, your boss or your coworker or whoever it might be. The idea is, take something that you normally do already and use it for God's purposes. If you take a walk, walk when others are more likely to be outside in your neighborhood. So you can say hi to them and get to know them. Excuse me, I need to turn my sound off on my computer. Um, not a good time to call the pastor, by the way. Whoever's calling me doesn't know what I'm doing right now. Um, but take something that we, norm that we normally do and use it for the sake of God's purposes. All right, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that you loved us when we, we were your enemies. When we were shouting, crucify, crucify, you loved us and went to the cross for us. When we mocked you and ridiculed you and said, you saved others, now save yourself, get off that cross, you said, no, I love you too much to get off the cross. And you died for us. You have shown us what love is. And Father, I thank you for, for many of the people in this congregation that, have, that I've gotten to know over the last three and a half years that are just wonderful, wonderful exemplars, exemplars of loving and caring for one another and for myself and for my family. And I pray, Lord, that we would just continue that. And Father, we pray for the Rohingya Muslims who are being brutally tortured, murdered, and driven from their lands. And pray, Lord, that justice might come for them. But we also pray for the Nigerian Christian families who've lost 
hundreds of girls to radical Islamic terrorists. And then we pray for those radical Islamic terrorists and ask, Lord, that they would see truth and love and see what they've done in taking those girls away from their families and that they would return them and that they would see Jesus. Just as you appeared to the Apostle Paul who was terrorizing Christians on the road to Damascus, and just as you appeared to me and told me 40 years ago, 45 years ago to follow you, we thank you. And now we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to grow in our love for one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.